Americas, live and underway here on ESPN Plus, alongside Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar for episode 311. Uh, Herc, for those listening on the podcast who didn't just get to see what on the show here we call our cold open, do you want to explain the visual that we just pulled from our good friends at ESPN Deportes? All right, well, it's the moda. It's a fashion, it's a trend these days to, to make a bet. And Alvaro mm-hmm. Morales bet his, what was it, his beard or his man bun? I want to say it was his beard against Duca's famous mustache, his famous mustache. And, well, Tigres ended up losing, so the gentleman pays his bets. Tigres did end up losing. What was our bet, Herc, here on, uh, on Football Americas? You actually were too scared to make a bet, so ah. there was no bet. <laughs> Please, please. All right, we got lots uh, coming up in this edition of the show. We will be talking about Major League Soccer's decision to pull out of the U.S. Open Cup. We got the Mexican national team playing to a 3-2 defeat against Colombia. And speaking of Mexican national teams, Maria Sanchez of the women's national team just signed a blockbuster deal with the Houston Dash in the National Women's Soccer League. We're going to have an interview with her in just a few minutes as well. But... Let's start with the games, as we like to do here on Football Americas, and we'll start in Liga MX, the final second leg. Sunday, Arasteca between Club America and Tigres. Of course, the first leg at the home of Tigres, El Volcan, finished in a 1-1 draw. Nine minutes in, Herc, where we pick this one up. Tigres with a chance to André Pierre Rignac. <laughs> and he strikes that sweetly. APG 10 knows he didn't miss by much. America responds just on the half-hour mark. Ball's going to come across to Diego Valdez, who hammers it. And now, well, Guzman, what a stop. Yeah, this was a trend. He actually saved this with his chest, thus pumping out the chest. A few minutes later, Tigres attacking through the air. Gignac the header, and this time it's Luis Malagón with a stop. Yeah, okay, sweet save by Malagón, but APG 10. You got to do better right there. And then, oh, no, right here. Quinones surely puts it in. Close. Blank close right range. He can't seem to just get his head around it, can't wrap it. And it was an open goal that he just missed. 0-0 at the half, still scoreless in the 71st minute. Jonathan Santos slips. Carioca, Herc, off the crossbar. Off the crossbar. In transition, doesn't get closer than that. Then just just don't lose your cool. Just hold your ground. Quinones has maybe one, two fouls there. And then, oh, a red card. Oh, not again. Deja vu. Raimundo Fulgencio, the guilty party there. Red card upheld after a VAR review. 90th minute, America up a man and nearly get the winner. But again, a big stop from Nahuel Guzman. So we go to extra time. And in the first minute of extra time, Julian Quinones on the second effort. Yeah, second effort. But what about the first effort from Diego Reyes right there? Just completely misjudges that ball. He gets a second bite of that apple. And I bet that feels good for the XD get his man. A few minutes later, Tigres go down to nine men here. Nahuel Guzman way off his line, and he's sent off for a second yellow. Yeah, it really was a shame because Nahuel Guzman was just big time, massive in this game, and just <laughs> it's a mistake there. He ain't going away. Look at that, under a tarp watching the game. America would eventually get their second here through Richard Sanchez, the blast. Yeah, that's going to be on the goalkeeper right there. Richard Sanchez, he's got a rocket. He's got a cannon for a right foot, but that's a keeper's post. You should do better. 2-0 in the game, 3-1 on aggregate. America adding a third in the 120th minute. How about this, Herc, from Cabecita Rodriguez? 
Yeah, and it's the MO. It's right there. Deegan is two men down and just uh, withered in that extra time. And Jardine, he knows it. It's uh, numero 14. That's 14 for Club America. That's right. More than anybody else in Liga MX history. America beats Tigres for the title. Let's get some more post-game reaction from El Estadio Azteca as we take a look. Actually, no, no, we're not gonna get that uh, post-game reaction. We'll just take a look at the historic significance here for America who pull uh, two titles clear of Chivas uh, for the most in Liga MX history. All right, Herc, it was the uh, top two teams in Liga MX all year that met in the final. What was the difference as Club América lifted the title on Sunday night? Yeah, I think it's pretty evident, Seb, that if we go through the pivotal moment in this match, where it was, every single person is going to say it's when Raimundo Fulgencio gets red carded. It's, mm -hmm. it's when Julian Quinones is chasing him down. They're on the sideline right there, and he reacts. It's a quick hand back to the face and a red card. It's borderline red, orange, whatever the case may be, whatever you think of, but it's a dangerous and reckless play, and you put your destiny in the hands of the referee, and that's what it was. It's Tigres again in the worst of times in a game where I thought they were actually playing better. I thought the Tigres goal was going to come in. I thought after Carioca hits the post, it's a crossbar. Mm -hmm. Tigres is closer to scoring than Club America is. There is no Ooh. reason for you to be that foolish. There is no reason for you to lose your head. And when we look back at how this game was lost and how this series was lost, about how this final, this championship was lost, it's Raimundo Fulgencio losing his head and striking Julian Quinones in the face. And from there, I can't blame Nahuel Guzman. I can't blame anybody else hmm. you may think. I can't blame Tigres for not having enough in the tank against 11 players. Cuba America's 11 players, by the way, who was the best offensive team, best defensive team, best regular season team in Liga MX. I can't blame them for losing that in extra time. I can blame Raimundo Fulgencio, and I do feel bad for him. You can see the images after the game. He's in tears accepting that runner-up medal. It's a shame, but that's the one and pivotal play that really cost him this game. Yeah, I'm with you in that there was not much difference between these two teams, right? I thought over the 180 minutes, it was clear. These were the two best teams in Mexican soccer, and they... They put on a show that was worthy of it. What's interesting to me here, Herc, is that I feel like, to answer the question, what was the difference? The difference was nerves, which is funny because one of the things you pointed to multiple times last week, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, but in your logic of why you were picking Tigres, you said their experience would make the difference, that that, that kind of championship pedigree would benefit them here. It's not only Fulgencio who loses his cool. You can also point to Nahuel Guzman. You can also point to the first yellow, which he didn't need to get, and the second yellow where he's game's totally over. out of position. Game's over. The game's over. Well, it's definitely it, 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 over when you're down to nine men and you're going to go down two goals. The game was over when Raimundo on the field, got Nothing's carded. over. No way. I don't way. understand what it has to do with nerves. That's just bad judgment on his part. It has nothing exactly. to do with nerves. A championship team with all of this pedigree melted away in Estadio Azteca in the final minutes. With 10 minutes to go in regulation, they made Seth, one huge mistake. Seth, Their goalie Seth, made another huge Seth, mistake the, and then the compounded it. The best opportunity it. of the game. Listen, listen, your Club America was getting a baile done on them. They were getting ran over. You just said Nahuel Guzman Seb, stood Seb, on his head Seb, in the highlight. We just your watched best it. opportunity Please. was your forward Julian Quinones missing the ball. Tigres uh, had opportunities where Andre your best Tierra, opportunity Julian, was Junior Dos Santos slipping. Hold on, we can't both talk at the same time. Okay, we can't both talk at the same time. You ask me a question, let me answer. Okay, 
The best opportunity in the game was for America Julian Quinones. The most dangerous opportunity, de peligro, was Tigres and multiple occasions. Tigres hit the crossbar, for God's sake. I don't know how much closer you can get to that. And in the 70th minute, they score that goal, it's over. Now, you can say whatever you want, but in finals, in finals, what? it takes one play. And it was one bad play by Ramundo Fulgencio, who's going to mm. pay very dearly for it. He's no longer going to be a Tigres player. That has nothing to do with nerves. That has nothing to do with experience. That's a bad judgment on his part. Okay. You know what else was a factor here? Is depth. Uh, you don't think America would have scored with 20 minutes left, but look at the guys that they had in attack when they are all systems go going for the game-winning goal. You got Cabecita, you got Henry Martin, you got Quinones, you got Diego Valdez. Any one of those guys, Herc, would be a 1A guy on most Liga Mekis teams. Club America has four of them. And the depth the other way also, I think, failed Tigres. And we've talked about how both these teams have very deep rosters. If you remember when we did the preview last week, one of the things I pointed out about Tigres was their defensive solidity, right? It's pretty much always the same four guys, uh, Angulo, Aquino, Samir, and Pizarro. And Samir gets hurt in the first leg, and it's Diego Reyes that has to come in here in the second leg, okay? And it's Diego Reyes on the goal for Quinones, who, Herc, I don't know what he's doing there. That's a veteran defender who whiffs on a headed ball that he doesn't need to try and make a play on. Ball skips right through the area, and that's your depth. And if you look at Tigres this season, when they had their usual back four, they're pretty much perfect. But any time they had to make a change, they shipped goals, they dropped points, or they did both. And I think that defensive depth just wasn't what it needed to be when Diego Reyes came on. On paper, he's depth, you're but he made the big me, mistake here, me, too. You're telling me you like the depth at defense for Club America more than you like for Tigres. And we can America's, talk, listen, America's nobody's, excusing, nobody's excusing Diego Reyes for the play he didn't make, mm -hmm. but Diego Reyes And he's not a starter, so well. he came on and failed. Hold on. Exactly. Hold on. He Miguel Layun, Miguel Layun's 35 years old. There's your depth. He had a better game than Cáceres. He just made a mistake. That's a mm. reality, Seb. And America takes advantage of this mistake. You can sit here to your blue in the face and say, I told you so, but the matter of the fact is, you didn't say so, Seb. This is a game where it was divided. It was literally separated by one play. And that one play was Raimundo Fulgencio. And that's what it was. If Tigres mm -hmm. after that red card had any chance, it was taking it into overtime with 10 men and hoping you yeah. get into penalty kicks where the most informed player up until that moment for Tigres may have been Nahuel Guzman. Now, I will say this. You're right about the depth in the end because Luis Quinones wasn't healthy. And I think it was, I think it was very, very um mm -hmm. noticeable when he came on the field he was a guy who didn't quite look like himself he almost looked like Tigres were playing a man down Nico Ibanez was ill Nico Ibanez who two seasons ago was a leading goal scorer in Liga Mekis didn't even make it off the bench because of how ill he felt in this game so in the end it wasn't enough for Tigres but don't sit here and try to lie to the people like it was Club America all the time listen minute 70 that crossbar okay when that hits yeah. the bar Mm -hmm. If Raimundo Fulgencio doesn't get red carded, I've got no doubt. You know what sets in for Club America, and we're talking a different story. If, if it goes in off the crossbar, and if Fulgencio doesn't, and if Noel doesn't, then, okay, you live in the world of this and but I live in the world of 14 titles. That's where I'll live. Let's move on to our next topic, because One no matter what happens with Club America, no matter what happens with Club America, in the last two games at Estadio Azteca th in these finals, this topic the comes up, all to, all and to I Tigres. think it's the Just work of producer Beto and his pro Chivas ways. He wants to know, Herc, did the referees help America to this title? 
No, no. Listen, we can sit here and say it's very suspicious that of all 18 Liga Mekis teams, the only one not to have a penalty kick called against them is Club America. That would be very suspicious. We can sit here and say every time there was a play that was tight, a play that can go either way, it went America's way. We can sit here and say all these different things, like Televisa runs a federation, all these different things, like Mexican referees are scared of Club America, but that's not the case here. Certainly not this season. If we're talking about justice, which doesn't matter in sporting terms, because that's not always the case, the best defensive team, Club America. The best offensive team, Club America. The league MVP for my money, Julian Quinones. I don't know how to say this any other way than it wasn't the referees. For once, for once, Club America delivered. What they've yeah. not done in the last five years, regardless of the regular season, they finally did in this game. The series was very tight. This series ends 1-1 in El Volcan, 1-1 in the Azteca. Nobody bats an eye. It was decided by one play. They took advantage, and that's football. But I don't think this is on the referees. No. This is cheap rhetoric. America went 19 unbeaten. That wasn't down to the referees. They were basically first from start to finish. And, Herc, I know I mentioned the depth in another way, but think about all this team accomplished with all of the big-name injuries that they had throughout this campaign. That's another notch in the depth of America and how well this team um, is put together. There are a lot of reasons why America won this title. You got to go very, very far down the list to get to the referees. Let's look to the future, Herc. Because if we look not at the too last far down decade, the list, but not top of the list. Steady, steady. If we look at the last decade in Liga Mekis, Tigres have five titles, and now Club America, after a Sunday night's victory, have four. If we look ahead towards the next decade, though, between these two teams, who do you think is more likely to rule Mexican soccer? You know, it's funny because we see the games here, titles won and whatnot. We don't see is what Tigres has done that they've not won. Second place in Libertadores, in the Copa Libertadores against River Plate. Playing in Argentina's second leg when they should have played in Mexico, but against Comunidad rules, they wouldn't do that. Second place in the Club World Cup, where they beat, by the way, a Copa Libertadores winner in Palmeiras to get to Bayern Munich. Hansi Flick's Bayern Munich, by the way, uh, second place there. Campeones Cup, whatever that you may want to introduce there. And Tigres for, I don't know how long I kept hearing, sooner rather than later after Tuca Ferreta. Sooner rather than later, because they're getting older. And what do they do? They keep getting younger. They keep getting better. They keep getting pieces that want to be there. And it's the stability. And I'm not saying Club America can't mimic that or can't be that team. But look at the last six or seven years for Club America. Look at the playmakers, if you will. Look at the coaches. It's always changing. Whether it's Ricardo Pelaez or Santiago Baños, different sporting directors. Whether it's El Turco Mohamed, La Volpe, eh, Tan Ortiz, Santiago Solari, Jardinet, the coaches always keep on changing. Look at the playmakers. We can go down a list of them. It always changes. That instability, that lack of stability, I should say, I, I don't like it. That's why I will stay with Tigres, who has proven for the better course of 12 going on plus years that they are that team and they can evolve mm. and they keep growing. And here's the best thing. They've got the resources to keep pushing the envelope. It was Andre Pierre Gignac not too long ago. And then they brought in uh, Tovan, you know, who, who, who was a player that won the World Cup with France. What could happen? How much better can they get going forward? That's why I will stick with Tigres. So Gignac to me is just such a part of the Tigres' success and identity that a lot of this to me hangs on how much more you think he has left in the tag. So he's 38. Um, based on what you saw, not just this season, but specifically in the, in the two legs of the final, Herc, 
How long do you think can, he can be the guy? Because you mentioned Tovan, and that was a big money signing, perhaps re- not to replace Gignac, but to lighten the load. It didn't exactly work out. It's not like every big signing is Gignac. That's a, a, a mega home run. So to assume that Tigres is just going to go out and, and find the next André Pierre Gignac, I think uh, is a little bit of a stretch. How long can he really continue to produce at, at the rate they need him to at 38 years old? for them to be a team of, of the next decade? That's, that's the question around him. Well, they, they, they essentially won a championship without him being at his best last season. He scored two goals in Ligia, and they were both penalty kicks last season. Uh, the, the playoff hero, Ligia hero, was Sebastián Córdoba. Seasons before that, you had players like Diente López, who were goal-scoring champions with Tigres. So, so Tigres has shown you an ability to adapt, an ability to go beyond the Gignac. But Gignac is just such a reference point historically for Tigres. He's like the before and after, the parting of the waters and everything he does, you remember. But I think this whole life after Gignac has already Mm -hmm. started the same way life after Tuca Ferretti has already started. I've got no doubt that this isn't going to be one of those things where Gignac goes away and Tigres goes away. I think this is a team that's here to stay. Tigres potentially well set for the future. I think America with a a, a very young, I think, Deeper roster, I would continue to make the argument. Then Tigres is well said as well. How much here do the managers come into play as far as this is concerned? Now, I hear what you're saying about kind of the revolving door at America. But with what Jardine did here, right? Not just winning, but winning wire to wire and winning very attractive. I feel like he could be a long-term fit at America. Meanwhile, Herc, when I think of Siboldi, it's a guy who's very pragmatic. And when guys were pragmatic don't get results, fans turn on them. So how long, what's the lifespan for Siboldi at Tigres if he's going to be the guy to make them the team of the next decade? That would be yeah, my I concern there. I, I don't know if he's very pragmatic with this Tigres because they had tactical flexibility. What I will say is he gets a bad rap. Think Cholo Simeone and how Cholo Simeone has historically been a defensive coach. Well, Siboldi the same way, right? Of the same vein. But this season, Atleti is a very offensive team and actually a joy to watch going forward. I think the same with Tigres and their their tactical flexibility. Here's the issue. He's got a longer leash than most. Why? Because he's a multi-champion on different teams. Uh, He was a champion with Santos. He was a champion uh, with Tigres. And he's got sentimental value to the Tigres fan. If you remember, when Tigres gets relegated back in a couple decades ago, when they get relegated... See, Boldy was a big player. He's the goalkeeper of the team. He stays with them despite them being in second division, and he brings them back to prominence in the first division. Fans don't forget that. There's a sentimental meaning and value to Siboldi with these fans. I think we're looking at a guy who's going to stick around for a while in comparison to a Jardine, who he's been very successful with Diaz very quickly. He came off a gold medal. In, in the Tokyo Olympic Games, he now has one with Club America. There may be bigger and better in his mm. future, and he may be enticed to leave. I don't think there's going to be that enticement with Siboldi. I think we're talking about a guy who could potentially be there a la Tuca Ferretti. There you have it. Uh, Club America beating Tigres in the Liga and Mekis final to claim their 14th title um, in Mexican football. Turn our attention now to the FIFA Club World Cup. Herc, we'll uh, go back to Friday. The second round, as Leon was taking on Urawa Reds, the Asian champions out of Japan. 18 minutes in, Tomoaki Okuba threw on goal. Rodolfo Cota with a big stop. 
Yeah, watch what a little difficult that does. He raises his hand to make the defender think it's offside, and, well, he does his business and saves it. There's a good chance right here. Really should have put this away. Good save at the end by the defender. Alvarado having his shot blocked there. One of the few opportunities for Leon, who, of course, are representing not just Liga Mekis, but CONCACAF as well. The winners of the last ever CONCACAF Champions League. Into the 78th minute in the second half, and here comes the goal for Urawa, Alex Schalk. Yeah, and Cota's going to want this one back. I think he turns his his back on the on the forward right there. He doesn't see him enough. It's very unlucky. He tries to make him feel big. Cannot. And that's 1-0. And Leon is down. Leon were down, and a few minutes later, things would go from bad to worst. William Tessio with the foul. It's his second yellow. He gown. And there's no need. I don't really think the attackers get into this ball. Tessio tries to make his case, but to no avail. Leon is left with 10. They would finish the game with 10 men and lose the match by a final score of 1-0, meaning Leon are eliminated from the FIFA Club World Cup. An elimination that cost the manager, Nicolas Larcamon, his job. The 39-year-old Argentine manager, of course, led Leon to the CONCACAF Champions League victory back in June. But his defeat at the Club World Cup and some average league results mean Larcamon is out at Leon after just over one year in charge. Of course, previously he was with Puebla in Liga MX. Herc, uh, what do we make of Leon's quick elimination from the Club World Cup? Something, nothing, or everything? Uh, I think this is uh, definitely something. And, and let me start with um, CONCACAF in general. Maybe CONCACAF isn't as good as we would like to think when it comes to participating in this tournament. Because sure, there are some scattered third-place games here and there. Sometimes you win it, sometimes you don't. But it's not the norm to play for that third-place game. Sure, the bar is Tigres in that second place behind Hansi Flick's historical Bayern Munich, uh, where Andre Pierre Gignac is the leading goal scorer of the tournament, where they beat Palmeiras, the Libertadores champion. Sure, you can hang your hat on that. But the norm is not that. It's not the third place games. It's not the second place finish. The norm is crashing out after the first game. And I can mm. tell you because you're talking to a guy who did just that. I went to the Club World Cup with Pachuca and we lost to an African opponent. I've seen countless teams go to the Club World Cup and lose to African opponents, Asian opponents, opponents from the Middle East. So are we maybe overestimating the cream of the crop in other countries. Not their football, mm. but the cream of the crop in other countries. Because you could say, well, you've got very good players in the Tigres of the world, in the Leones yeah. of the world, you know, players that are South American national teams. These clubs don't, don't just have players from Japan. They don't just have players from Africa. They don't just have players, you know, from the Middle East. They've got high quality foreigners as well. They got high quality teams. And when it comes to playing and competing in this competition, CONCACAF hasn't done well enough. You know, yeah. and we can't just say it's a Liga Mekis thing. The one time that CONCACAF has an MLS representative, Seattle Sounders do the same thing. So yeah. maybe we're not as good in this region as we thought we are when it comes to competing in this tournament. And when it comes to Larcamon, maybe we overestimated Larcamon. Maybe he does mm. more with less. Because I can tell you from firsthand experience, from being inside uh, Grupo Pachuca's ownership when I was at Pachuca, and from knowing how that ownership operates, it's not a knee-jerk reaction for them to get rid of Nicolas Larcamon post-game. It's not like they mm. let him finish the tournament out and then comes home and, and, and then he's gone. 
this has been coming. This has been building up the frustration with Larcamon, and this was just the last straw for them. It's definitely not a great representation, Herc, of either Mexican football or CONCACAF Champions League. And you do have to say, like, if they qualified for CONCACAF Champions League, they did so out of Mexico. If they qualified for the FIFA Club World Cup, they did so out of CONCACAF. So those regions are ultimately responsible for giving us Leon here. The reality, Herc, is Leon last won a title in 2020. They, they last played in a final in 2021. They are basically, I mean, last season they were a 500 team. If you go back over the last three seasons, Herc, they're a 500 team. They're not the best representative that you could possibly have from CONCACAF. I think that's fair. And I think that's what we saw in this tournament, right? You go out like that, it's, uh, it's pretty embarrassing. You mentioned Tigres um, and losing to Bayern Munich in the final. Rayados played Liverpool to a great game the year before that in the semifinal. And it was only a stoppage time goal from Firmino that was the difference. So Come on. I'm a little bit more optimistic about CONCACAF when it goes to the lineup? FIFA Club World Don't Cup. Don't make me pull that lineup, Seb. Don't make me pull the lineup that Liverpool tr trotted out there. They had midfield But Bobby Firmino on at the end of the game. They're trying Come to win. On, man. It's people like regardless, you that give, that give Charlie Rodriguez eight years credit because of that game. Come on. Semifinals. America has been in a semifinal. Like this idea that Liga Mekis teams can't be in a semifinal, Herc, just because you went out in the first round doesn't mean that that's count what everybody em. else is doing. Sam, count them. There are more. There are more one and outs when you lose mm -hmm. the first game and you go in the mm -hmm. consolation bracket than actual third game competition or competitive games. That's a reality. It's not me trying to say here. Oh, that's not the no. That's what it is, Seb. I would love to say, hey, a one-off. Leon wasn't the best representative of Concacaf. It's clear to see they lost Davila, one of their better players. They couldn't replace him up top. It's a team that's aging. It's a team that needs a generational shift. It's a team that overproduced with Lacamone against LAFC. LAFC choked that away, but that's not the case. History has shown us that Concacaf, for whatever reason, more often than not, doesn't win that first game. Definitely an L for the region at a time when CONCACAF, I think uh, coming off the 2022 World Cup, certainly could use a boost to its international image. Herc, speaking of the FIFA Club World Cup, we now have details about the 2025 edition of the event, which we know will be played in the United States. And up from the seven teams that are participating now will feature 32 teams. The dates have been announced. It's going to start on June 15th and run through July 13th, and it'll have, Herc, the same format as we've had for the last few World Cups with 32 teams. So eight groups, four teams in each group, the top two go. When you hear about the format and when you hear about the schedule, what are your first impressions? Okay, I love the format because it almost seemed like an invitational, if you will, in maybe one game and you're out. And also these places where mine was Abu Dhabi, you know, Dubai, and it was great to visit but it didn't feel like an actual tournament setting. It didn't feel like the World Cup, and I'm not saying the Club World Cup has to feel like the World Cup, but having it in the States is going to do wonders marketing-wise. It's going to put some people in the seats, uh, into the stadiums. I really feel, select games. It's going to feel like more of a, a real atmosphere, sure, and a real competition. But when are we going to do this, Sam? <laughs> I mean, realistically, when would you like to do this? Will it cross mm -hmm. over with you know, a, a Gold Cup or a Leagues Cup? Uh, you know, th there is also talk about this revamped new Confederations Cup like we used to have. Remember when the U.S. played Spain and ended that, into that 35-game winning streak that Spain had? There's talk about that maybe happening in 2025. When are you going to do this? And when are the players, will the players have a say? Because if I'm FIFA, yeah. I'm sitting here and I'm just like, 
Wait, you want to add more games onto the schedule? Really? I don't know. I don't know about this. Yeah, we've heard the complaints already from the big clubs. Like Carlo Ancelotti has been very vocal. You heard from guys like Danny Carvajal, um, just how problematic this is going to be. Basically, you know, if you're a European player, that summer and this part of the summer, June 15th through July 13th, that's your off season. So to take that away would be brutal. To me, that's the big question, Herc, is how do, and the European teams that have qualified already, Real Madrid, Chelsea, Manchester City, how do they approach this? Are they going to take it seriously? And when in the tournament are they going to take it seriously? Is it going to be like an FA Cup or a Carabao Cup where in the group phase, it's a lot of riffraff, right? It's a lot of academy kids. And then if you advance to your knockout rounds, maybe we'll start to see some first teamers. Uh, as far as the CONCACAF representation, Herc, the teams that are already in, Rayados, Leon, we're going to see them again. Uh, Sounders plus the first ever winner of the CONCACAF Champions Cup. What do you think would be a good measure for success in that tournament for CONCACAF? If you say that the semifinals now are a stretch, I'm, I'm definitely not thinking you're seeing a CONCACAF team anywhere near the semifinals in 2025. I mean, it's going to be very difficult. You'd have to think those three European teams, that they don't cross each other and a South American opponent or two, will be the candidates most likely to make it to the semifinals. But there is a strong representation in the United States from Mexican clubs. And who's to say a team in Mexico like a Tigres or like an America or like a Chivas can't make it in there and you have a strong backing with a good roster and you could do some damage. It essentially is a home market for you. But you're right. I mean, these European teams, how do they handle it? How do they approach it? And I think that will affect how far CONCACAF goes. So I'd love to sit here and say semifinal, but I can't in good conscience or good faith say that. All right. Well, we still got uh, over a year to find out how everybody's going to approach the FIFA Club World Cup when it does come to the United States in the summer of 2025. To qualify for the Club World Cup, you used to have to win the UEFA Champions League, at least out of Europe. And now we have the draw for the round of 16 matchups. On uh, Monday, they did the, the UCL draw out there in Switzerland. I hope it went smoother than the Copa America draw. I didn't watch it live. Here's a look at your matchups, Herc. We got Copenhagen, Manchester City. PSG Real Sociedad, Lazio Bayern, uh, RB Leipzig Real Madrid, PSV Dortmund, Inter against Atleti, Porto against Arsenal, and Napoli against Barcelona. Which of those matchups, Herc, are you personally most interested in? Let me just say uh, Barcelona and PSG may be in trouble. But that's, that's, that's for another conversation. Okay. The one that I'm most interested in for obvious reasons, I'm going to go with uh, PSV versus Dortmund. In PSV versus Dortmund, you've got the CONCAP representation, the all-stars of CONCAP, if you will, facing off against the winners of the group of death, Dortmund, with Gio Reyna. Nobody saw that one coming. And look, Serginho Dest getting back into his best football with Peter Bosch. Chucky Lozano revival after... I don't... I don't, don't want to say it's a disappointing... Uh, matchup for them or disappointing season for what happened against Napoli but definitely it's a it's a situation where I think uh it wasn't his best for the team they won now let me keep going Malik Tillman low-key sleeper for MVP uh for PSV the way he's been playing and you know your boy's been high on him uh, mm -hmm. I picked him to score the most goals of all the CONCACAF representation on that team and then Ricardo Pepe that when he does get a chance to play you've seen how good he can be you've seen him score goals Again, when he gets a chance to play. And then Gio Reyna. I mean, what are we going to see from Gio Reyna? 
I doubt we'll see a, a winter Gio Reyna transfer, transfer, excuse me, but in case we don't, will he get time? Will he participate against PSV, against these CONCACAF All-Stars? That's what I'm most looking forward to. Herc, I see this draw, and I feel like it's the rare instance where both teams are probably okay with the matchup, right? Who do you see as a favorite? Because to me, I know Dortmund won the group of death, but it's not overwhelmingly clear. I guess I've seen a lot of Dortmund in Bundesliga, so I know not to trust them. Yeah, I keep going back to the Arsenal-PSV game, and that PSV showed me a lot. I know they're perfect in the Eredivisie, and we've got to give them their props for how good they are at the you know level they're in, but when they face top-quality opponents in the Champions League like Arsenal, they buckled. And, and Dortmund, they were the opposite. I mean, sure, they, they started off where they were struggling, but they really showed me something against some top-quality opposition in PSG, against Newcastle, against an AC Milan. If I had to back one team over the other, I would back this Dortmund over PSV. Mm. All right, so Herc is picking PSV against Dortmund uh, as his favorite matchup of the Champions League knockout rounds, or at least the round of 16. I'm going a little bit different. I'm going Inter Milan against Atleti. Now, generally, Herc, I think when we look at this draw, there was a lot of meh, right? There, there's not a lot of Hollywood matchups here. And I think there's very few matchups where you look at both teams and say, these two teams can make a run. This, for me, is the one matchup where I, outside of something crazy happening, like a, a miracle run to a semifinal for a club, these two teams I could very realistically see reaching the semifinal. Inter Milan rolling right now uh, in Italy, top of the league. I think they've only lost once. Atleti have struggled a little bit in league play. They lost on the weekend against Athletic Club and really played poorly. Um, but they were really good in Champions League. They won their group in Champions League play. So solid in Europe. And then you've got Pipo Inzaghi, good manager. Diego Simeone, good manager. So you got the tactics covered there. And then, of course, Herc, Atleti has been linked to not one, but two of our guys in Jonathan David and Santiago Jimenez. So maybe, maybe come this tie next year, we could have a CONCACAF player starting up top for one of these two teams. How do you like that? I love it. And you're absolutely right. Both these teams can do some serious damage. And you're absolutely right. There are some players who have been linked from CONCACAF, both Inter and Atleti, Santi Jimenez, a Jonathan David, a Tejan Buchanan has always also been linked to an Inter uh milan so lots to keep an eye on there it's just tactically it's going to be a fun game and you're right come summer we don't know or come after this winter there could be a concaf player there so it's definitely an enticing matchup and of course uh, speaking of concacaf representation in the champions league we got uh, alfonso davies with Bayern. they're drawn against lazio and porto against arsenal maybe we'll see a little bit of uh, jorge sanchez on the bench. What about the Europa League, Herc? What about the Europa League? We got the uh, knockout round draw that also went down on Monday. Competition going to start up on the 15th of February. Here's a look at the matchups. Shakhtar against Marseille. Galatasaray against Sparta Prague. Braga of Portugal up against uh, Karabag out of Azerbaijan. Lance against Freiburg. Oh, France v. Germany there. Young boys out of Switzerland against Sporting out of Portugal. Another Portuguese team, Benfica against Toulouse. And then a couple matchups we're very interested in. Feyenoord against Roma and AC Milan against Rams. Uh, Herc, what you got your eye on here? I got my eye on AC Milan versus Rams. Let me tell you why. And it's, 
it's no surprise. It, it's just because of Christian Pulisic. And Christian Pulisic, he's been must-watch TV for Milan. Uh, it doesn't matter what competition, it doesn't matter where he plays on the field. He's a player that is having a career best, not in goals, not in assists, in productivity, he's been very good, but in responsibility. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. Sure, he wore the number 10 jersey at Chelsea, so there has to be some accountability, some responsibility that comes with that. But never in Christian Pulisic's club career have we said he needs to be the man. He needs to be a player that is successful in order for his team to be successful. That wasn't the case at Chelsea. There were other players ahead of him. I really feel that if Christian Pulisic is not successful, neither will Milan. Milan will not be successful in this competition unless you get the best version of Christian Pulisic. In terms of responsibility, he really has accountability and responsibility for the first time in I can't tell you how long, at least in his club career, as far as I can remember. And he just saved Stefano Pioli, his coach's job, last go around in the Champions League, last game against Newcastle at Newcastle at St. James Park. That was a career-defining moment for Christian Pulisic and one that I think will do him massive favors with his coach. So because of that and Christian Pulisic, this is a must-see matchup for me. I'm definitely looking forward to this one as well. I think we're pretty sure, provided his health, Christian Pulisic will be in the starting lineup for AC Milan based on how he's played. Yunus Musa is maybe a bigger question, but I'll say this. If Yunus Musa is still come February 15th in the starting lineup at AC Milan once all their guys who were injured at the start of midfield, uh, start injured at the start of the season in midfield, are back and healthy. It'll be a real testament to uh, just how great a campaign he's had there, year one in Syria. I'm going with Feyenoord against Roma. Herc, no chance, no doubt. It's about uh, watching Santiago Jimenez here. And basically, how I feel about this is it's kind of his last chance to really impress. Right? He's not going to do anything more in league play in the Eredivisie to impress potential suitors than what he's already done. He scored a boatload of goals at that level. Everybody knows what he can do. The only thing he can do to boost his stock is to do it against quality European competition. That's exactly what Roma is. It's a team from a big five league. They're managed by Jose Mourinho, who's going to have his center backs absolutely ready for Santiago Jimenez. So if we're looking for him to pass tests, Herc, what better test is there European knockout football against a Jose Mourinho Italian defense to prove that you're ready for the next level. This is it for Santiago Jimenez if, and I'm assuming, if he's still there come February. A big if, a big if. If he's not there come February, it's because it's a panic buy by somebody and they drop massive amounts of money on uh, Feyenoord's lap. I I will say this, if memory serves me correct, Seb, wasn't Roma the opposition that Santi Jimenez faced in Europa League and he lost his head and got red carded again? So a bit of deja vu there against Italian mm. defenses. And again, a test, a true test for Santi Jimenez, who needs no more tests for people to say he's going to have a big transfer, but a test nonetheless against some of the best defensive structured teams in the world. Santiago Jimenez then with a big opportunity, should he stick around with Feyenoord? in the Europa League. Herc, let's run it back with some U.S. men's national teamers abroad. PSV 4-0 winners over Asad Algmar on Sunday. And the third goal was made in America, so to say. Uh, Malik Tillman, born in Germany, with the assist to Serginho Des, born in the Netherlands. There you go. And this is a sweet turn by Malik Tillman right there. Great through ball in his face. Serginho Des, you know this is coming. Woo! Nice left-footed finish. Serginho Des, 
he does something well, assist, mad goal, and you know that Monday morning Instagram highlight reel is gonna be sweet. <laughs> His uh, first goal of the season, Tillman's third assist as PSV stay in first. To Serie A, AC Milan 3-0 winners over Mons on Sunday. Christian Pulisic credited with the assist here as fourth of the season. Yeah, sometimes all you gotta do is be smart. <laughs> right place, right time, gets to the right player. It's a hell of a goal. You know, ice skating through traffic, four defenders and in. And Christian Pulisic, he'll take that. He'll take an assist. His fourth assist in league play to go along with five goals so far this season. To the Premier League, Matt Turner got his second straight start for Nottingham Forest after being dropped about a month ago. Didn't go well in a 2-0 loss to Tottenham Hotspur. Turner completely at fault, Herc, on the second goal. Yeah, it's a bad giveaway here, but he's got a shot of redemption right here, and he gives up his near post to kind of roof some. He knows it, it should have been his. He's a much better goalkeeper than that, that play, absolutely. Forrest right now, 17th in the Premier League. See what happens with Matt Turner and his hold on the number one job. Emmanuel Sabi, remember the name? Got his first gap with the U.S. back in January. <laughs> well, Herky now plays in Ligue 1 for Le Havre, and he scored a brace in a 3-1 win over Nice on Saturday. Yeah, listen, this is good news. You want players to succeed in the pool. Not all players are going to be starters. Not all players are going to be regular campers. Some players, you need depth. Some players need to pressure those players. And Sabi with a double, that'll do. Just his third start of the season. Lyndon Gooch of Sunderland Till I Die fame, now with Stoke City with his first goal of the season in a 1-1 draw against West Brom. All right, Seb, is he shooting or crossing? He's probably crossing, but I'll give him credit. I'll give him credit. I don't know why I think it was slightly deflected, but that goal's a goal. He looks confident about it. Of course, the championship is on ESPN+, and so is the Carabao Cup this week. We got a triple header on Tuesday, and then Wednesday, it's Liverpool against West Ham. Edson Alvarez and company going for a spot in the semifinals. Perk, we got news that broke late on Friday, at least late here on the East Coast Friday night. Major League Soccer announcing it will not be sending its first teams to the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup in 2024, instead opting to send MLS Next Pro teams, effectively their reserve teams. The announcement comes just months after MLS Commissioner Don Garber called the tournament, quote, a very poor reflection of what it is we're trying to do. Perk, MLS, first teams out of the Open Cup. Are you cool with it? No, I'm not cool with it. Um, you're talking to a guy who essentially got his start because of what he did in the Open Cup. You know, uh, in 2005, when a healthy roster was around for the LA Galaxy, a lot of the games I did play were reserve games or Open Cup games. And because of those Open Cup games, where I was the leading goal scorer in that competition, I would score goals and Steve Sampson was like, this kid has something. So he was forced to give me more opportunities. And those opportunities paved the way for me to be a regular contributor for the LA Galaxy. I don't like this for many reasons. You're, you're denying players their dream to play. Not just MLS players who want to better their situation, want to better their contracts, but players who want to get to MLS or players who maybe will never get to MLS, but the thrill of their lifetime is facing up against MLS opposition. You're trying to tell me that it's good enough for the Premier League. It's good enough for Premier League players, players worth over $100 million, but it's not good enough for Don Garber and Major League Soccer. You're telling me that instead of helping a tournament like the Open Cup, 
for helping U.S. soccer, MLS chose to not only turn their back on them, but essentially said, go die to the Open Cup. Mm. Because essentially what you're doing is you're giving them a death blow. U.S. soccer and the Open Cup, or at least the Open Cup, can't survive if this happens or this continues. No MLS teams in the Open Cup is a death blow to the Open Cup. And I don't know how legal it is. MLS has an obligation to compete in all the domestic competitions available to them within the U.S. soccer umbrella. It's okay if you say, choose if you want to play a first team or not. And by that, I mean what we've always complained about, how some teams don't take it seriously. But let the teams choose. There's still a CONCACAF Champions Cup position to be won. Let them choose. If they want to ignore or belittle the Open Cup, that's stupidly and ignorantly on them. But don't say we're selling, sending MLS next and take that dream away, take that possibility away from these players. It's a sad day in American soccer. Yeah. So one thing that jumped out to me, because as soon as you see this, Herc, is you just ask why, right? And I think what we're going to hear and what we've already heard from the MLS perspective is, you know, this is about bad fields or bad stadiums or bad soccer. Um, MLS has been playing bad soccer on bad fields and bad stadiums since its inception in 1996. So it's surely not that. And this other excuse that's cropping up about fixture congestion is especially rich for a league that invented League's Cup, Herc, and asked LAFC, again, in a league with salary cap restrictions, so you can't build out your roster to play, what was it, 53 games this year? Um, so the, the only reasons, Herc, that this is happening are one, the obvious one, money, right? That's always at the root of all evil. Uh, but beyond that is control, right? MLS wants to control everything in American soccer. And if MLS doesn't control it, Major League Soccer would rather that that thing just not exist. Okay. And that brings me to the guy in charge of all this. And that's Don Garber, who is, yes, MLS Commissioner Herc. But it's important to point out here, he also serves a role on the board of directors of U.S. soccer. And at this point, I'm not sure how much longer that can continue, right? Because subjectively, we can make the argument that Don Garber, via this move with MLS, is acting against the greater good for American soccer, right? And a person acting against the greater good of American soccer should not be, Herc, on the board of directors of the U.S. Soccer Federation. But a person concretely, objectively, specifically acting against an asset of U.S. soccer cannot also then sit on the board of directors of U.S. soccer. The conflicts of interest around Don Garber's presence on the board of directors have been coming to a head for a while. This is the head. And somebody's going to have to make a move here. It's either going to be Don Garber out of decency, recusing himself from this position, or the Federation, Herc, is going to have to step up. And that brings me to kind of my last point on this, or maybe the most important point. For years and years, Herc, the U.S. Soccer Federation did Major League Soccer's bidding often at the expense of everybody else in American soccer. And the proof of that is the dozens of leagues, men and women, the hundreds of clubs, men and women, including Rio Grande Valley, who today is out of business, that have gone out of business since MLS came into business in 1996. And for all that time, U.S. soccer sat by and did nothing. And the why behind that is very obvious, Herc, and you know it well. It's because through a marketing contract that not a lot of people know about, not a lot of people talked about, U.S. soccer was getting its bills paid, in effect, 
by Major League Soccer. So, of course, you're not going to bite the hand that feeds you. Well, that contract ended a couple years ago. So now this federation, which for a long time was only independent in theory and not in practice, is now really, truly independent and needs to take a stand. And for me, the stand is clear. You cannot let MLS Next Pro teams into this tournament. And it's time for U.S. soccer to seriously consider stripping MLS of its Division I status. You cannot be a Division I league, Herc, if you don't want to compete. And that's the bottom line with Major League Soccer. They don't want to compete. They're scared of competition. It's why they're pulling out of the Open Cup. And it's why anytime you hear about promotion relegation or anytime anybody brings up an open system, MLS folks run for the hills. They're scared of competition because they don't want to be exposed. And that's the bottom line, Herc, of why they're leaving the Open Cup. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Don Garber thing because people love to hate on Don Garber, but Don Garber is... Is essentially Commissioner Goodell, Roger Goodell. And Roger Goodell doesn't make decisions. He he pretty much is a voice for the owners. So he's that shield for ownership. But when it comes to being part of the board of directors in U.S. soccer, yeah, yeah, that's directly on him. And you're right, he needs to recuse himself uh, from that. I, I'm very happy you brought that up. And I agree. It'd be one thing to see MLS compete and compete well, but they've not done it. The only thing I could think of that would be cool in the meantime is seeing a USL team potentially win this mm-hmm. tournament and get the CONCACAF Champions Cup position and recognition that I think they deserve. Yes, that would be a cool silver lining, but very much a, a silver lining to all this. Just very quickly on the point you brought up about the rules, the pro league standard state, according to U.S. soccer, that to be eligible to be a Division One team, you have to play in all federation events which you are eligible for the open cup is that so it's right there in the rule book if u.s soccer wants to grow a spine and take a stand against major league soccer who is working against the whole of american soccer you got it right there on paper how you can do it right there yeah i i don't yeah you're right but i don't think they're dumb enough to go into this without checking the legality of this and seeing if mls next is a direct representation of major league soccer so Mm -hmm. i mean save your reserve teams one thing the open cup definitely um, does not need. Of course, we know La Liga is here on ESPN. Plus, we got some midweek games coming up uh, this week as it is match day 18. Barcelona taking on Almeria. That one Wednesday. Coverage starts at 12.30 p.m. Eastern time right here on ESPN+. Plus. Another day and more history in the National Women's Soccer League. The Houston Dash have re-signed restricted free agent Maria Sanchez to what is being reported as the largest contract in league history. It's a three-year deal with an option for a fourth worth close to $1.5 million total. That number passes the deal Trinity Rodman signed with the Washington Spirit back in early 2022. Sanchez was born in the United States. She's a Mexican international, 64 caps for El Tri. 
Femenil. She tallied uh, four goals and four assists with Houston last season. Both those numbers, by the way, tops on the team. And thrilled now to welcome into the show Maria Sanchez herself, who I'm assuming is joining us from her brand new yacht after signing that big contract. Congratulations, <laughs> Maria. Show us the yacht. Give us a little give us a little sight there. Unfortunately, I'm I'm in uh, Idaho, in ice cold Idaho right now. So um, no, but enjoying with my family. Uh, obviously, it's a huge moment for me. Uh, very happy to be in Houston. Um, very happy to extend my contract there and uh, very excited for what's to come. All right. So the yachts in the marina, the yachts in the marina. We have we haven't opened it just yet. Uh, so talk to me about what this means. You know, when you hear that Maria Sanchez has just signed the biggest contract in NWSL history, put into perspective, you know, how that feels for you. Um, obviously, it's very exciting. I know that women's soccer is growing and probably within the next few days or weeks, somebody else is going to uh, break another record. So um, to me, I honestly just love being able to represent Mexican women's soccer and break those boundaries. Um, I think there's little representation in the NWSL um, for Mexican women's soccer. So for me, I'm just very happy to to be uh, a leader in that and represent them uh, the best way I can. Maria, I'm curious about the free agency process, because that's something that's relatively new to NWSL. Walk us through it a little bit. Explain kind of what you were considering, what your other options were. And then at the end of the day, why you decided to to resign with Houston. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was a restricted free agent. So if any other team uh, offered me a contract and Houston matched it, um, I'd, I'd have to say in Houston. And um, there was interest from other clubs. Um, but honestly, uh, the effort that Houston made for me and, and the trust and uh, commitment they have uh, for me, I, I couldn't say no. So, um, yeah, it, I'm very excited and uh, want to give them back the, the most I can possible on the field. So, Maria, the Houston Dash have a special place in my heart. I'll take you back to 2014, the first year that the team was in existence. I was the original play-by-play -play voice um, of the Houston Dash. That was a long time ago, nine years ago. Uh, and yet it's been just one trip to the playoffs since the team launched in 2014. How close do you guys feel to title contention? And what has to happen for you guys to get over that hump? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a very difficult thing to do in the NWSL. And I think last year we had a great year and we kind of had a taste of, of what it is to be successful as a club. And this year, I mean, it was mostly a struggle. So um, I think for the people that have been there the last couple of years, we know what each year feels like. We know what a successful year feel, feels like and we know uh, what a year of struggle feels like. So I think uh, we know what to work on. We know what to do to to become a, a successful team and obviously the investment that uh the club is making in in the women's side is is huge and i think that will help us a lot on the field and off the field the things that they're doing and the plans that they have um it's very exciting so i obviously want to win championships in houston and and be a successful soccer player so um yeah i'm very excited Maria, if we take a look at your CV, you have definitely not taken the traditional path to this, this big contract with the Houston Dash. I'm curious, though, about the very beginnings for you, kind of your youth soccer career. I was reading that 
You didn't play club soccer. Um, is that true? Because of the kind of financial restrictions for your family, uh, that must have been incredibly difficult. So how did you get to be this good? Um, yeah, so I had to play with boys growing up. I have a brother that's six years older than me, and I would play soccer with him all the time um, until he moved out for college. It was a it was a huge struggle because my parents didn't really want me to play with boys. Um, so I, most of the time I would have to play by myself. And then there's Idaho winters where um, you really can't play soccer outside. So I'd either have to break into this middle school gym uh, that's right in front of my house as well as a, the soccer field. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just a, a lot of struggles that made me appreciate playing the sport even more. And uh, it makes me appreciate it, everything I've accomplished now even more. And especially coming back home and reliving everything. I honestly don't know how I did it um, to get that far. Um, but I'm very, very happy I was able to. So that's the beginnings kind of of your amateur career. The beginnings of your professional career are also very interesting. You get drafted by Chicago Red Stars, NWSL, but you have to go to Liga Mekis Femenil to really kind of make a name for yourself. I wonder what that experience was like and how you might compare the quality uh, between the two leagues, Liga Mekis Femenil and NWSL. Yeah, I mean, NWSL is just a very competitive league all around. Um, I mean, when I was here in 2019, there was only 19, uh, nine teams and very little contracts. So, um, I mean, it was just really hard to get on a team, really hard to get a contract and really hard to get playing time. Um, but I knew that I wanted to to come back and prove myself and represent Mexican women's football. So. Um, I took a couple of years in Mexico. I went to play for Chivas. I went to play for Tigres. And obviously there are teams that made me grow a lot. Um, I think I had different roles in, in both those teams. And I mean, coming uh, from Tigres at, at my second year there in Mexico, it was truly amazing. I think the club, uh, the investment they make in women's soccer is incredible. I mean, it speaks to their six titles that they've won um, so far. So yeah, I mean, it was just an incredible time there and it was really hard to leave. Um, but for the ambition and goals that I that I have and had at the moment as well, um, I knew that I wanted to come to the NWSL and that was my dream. I wanted to solidify myself as a soccer player here and uh, represent Mexico. You keep mentioning representing Mexico. Let's talk about the Mexican uh, women's national team. We just had the draw for the W Gold Cup, the CONCACAF championship that's coming up next year. Mexico into the group with the United States and Argentina. You know, big picture, if we think state of the program, where do you think the team is right now ahead of this major tournament next year? Yeah, I mean, I think we're in a, in a moment of growth. I think uh, the team has a lot of young players. Um, but I'm I'm very eager to see how we do. Um, this year we were undefeated, and obviously we we were in different tournaments where where we were successful. But I'm excited to see us play uh, these top ten countries, these uh, top teams that have been world champions, Olympic champions. Um, so yeah, I mean I'm I'm very excited to see how we do against these teams and, and the growth that we've had over the years. And because, I mean, women's soccer in general has has grown so much, but I think uh, with a new coach and everything that um, Mexican, the, the Federation has been doing to for the growth of Mexican women's football, I'm very excited to see where we're at um, compared to these amazing teams. That's a look to the future. 
we got a little bit take a look to the past. Um, obviously, it's it's a ways in the past now, but let's revisit the, the failed World Cup qualifying campaign. Now that you're a bit more removed from it, do you have a sense of kind of what went wrong, why you guys missed out on the World Cup? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, it was, it was it was a very tough time, I think. Um, I mean, at the time, it was just like emotionally uh, very hard. But I think with the new with the new coaching, the new staff that has come into the national team, um, I think that that has helped a lot. I think the outside ideas that we have now um, have contributed a lot. I think, um, you know, it was it was very difficult when we just had this cycle of the U-20 coaches coming up to a senior national team um, in the same federation. I mean, it was just kind of the same ideas for cycles and cycles so i was just very excited this last year where we uh finally decided to make a change and bring ideas from outside of uh the mexican uh soccer world so um yeah i think obviously it's not something you want to go through and unfortunately i went through it twice um but it's something that i think has helped develop the the mexican uh women's soccer side more and that hopefully in the future those things can be avoided all right finally maria i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you about what we just learned about last week which is the co-bid for the 2027 world cup between the united states um, and mexico just what were your first thoughts and do you have any idea of kind of what that could potentially mean for the women's game in mexico yeah i mean it's huge i think uh the fan base in mexico that we see with uh some of the top teams and and the people that they put into these uh uh finals and and all these classical games um that's so exciting and and i mean it'd be huge it'd be amazing to have it in the two countries where where i mean the us where i grew it up and then mexico where uh i represent the country um so obviously it would be huge it would be amazing and i mean it would be a dream come true all right there she is maria sanchez a mexican international and as of right now the highest paid player in the national women's soccer league after inking a new deal with the houston dash maria congratulations great to have you here with us on football americas thanks for the time thank you Maria Sanchez, not the only big news out of the NWSL on Monday. As first reported by Revelo, a Spanish outlet, the Washington Spirit have made a huge offer to FC Barcelona women's manager Jonathan Giraldez. It's reportedly worth five times what he's making right now at Barcelona, where he won the Champions League and La Liga last season. Giraldez confirming on Monday that he is leaving Barcelona at the end of the season. Would only say it was to a destination, quote, outside of Europe. Mexican national team taking on Colombia in an international friendly Saturday at the Coliseum in Los Angeles. 40 minutes in, Herc, where we pick this one up. And Omar Govea makes it one nothing Mexico. Okay, Omar Govea. Okay, Omar Govea. This one may be on the goalkeeper, but roofs it near post, gets his goal. Mexico looking for more in the second half. Memo Martinez from the tight angle rebound makes it 2-0. Memote, Memote. Listen, I'm happy for Memote, but this is definitely on the goalkeeper. Mexico jumping out to a 2-0 lead, but five minutes later, Colombia on the attack. Andres Reyes makes it 
Yeah, now what you want, you don't want your goalkeeper and defenders facing their own goal at that moment right there. And maybe a slight deflection, but they're back in it. What you definitely don't want is this, Roger Martinez from distance. You knew that was gonna, you just knew it was gonna happen. If anybody in Colombia is gonna hurt Mexico, it's gonna be Roger Martinez. That goal there, making it 2-2. And then into stoppage time, Colombia won a winner and they're gonna get it. It's Andres Gomez to make it 3-2. All right, my Tocayo Gomez, listen, I know what you're saying. It's another loss for Mexico, but it doesn't quite feel that way, even though most will make something out of this for sure. Definite offside on that last goal, but uh, no VAR there at the Coliseum between Mexico and Colombia. Herc, anybody stand out to you from an L3 perspective? Yeah, Memo Martinez. And uh, it's easy to say Memote, right? Because the type of year he's had, he was the subcampeón de goleo, so the second in goal scoring in Mexico, uh, the highest Mexican goal scorer in Liga MX. Here's the thing, he's 28 years old right now, mm. right? He'll be 29 mm. next year. Let me tell you why this is interesting and why it stood out. He's a perennial second division player. He's been bouncing around the second division, Liga de Expansión, if you will, for quite some time. But everywhere he's been, Seb, he's been successful. He scored goals. He goes to Puebla, a team that found a value in him. They gave him a chance and he explodes onto the scene and he was their leading goal scorer and almost won a goal scoring title. And I, I know because players like Raul Jimenez, players like Henry Martin, players like Santi Jimenez, and even a Julian Quinones, if you want to throw into that nine position, are for sure ahead of him. But the reason this stood out to me is because essentially in a player who was wasting away in Liga de Expansión, where most didn't pay too much attention to, Puebla found value in him. What I'm trying to tell you is if Pro-Rel doesn't go away, because once Pro-Rel and Mexican football goes away, a player like Memo, a player like Memoste Martinez can't earn his way back to first division, helping mm. a team get promoted into first division, helping himself get noticed in first division. Literally, the death of Pro-Rel, or pause of Pro-Rel, as they say, because they say it's going to come back eventually, the death of Pro-Rel in Mexican football was a deadly blow to Memo Martinez's well, sporting chances. And here we are today, after all the good he did in the second division, finally gets an opportunity and it's rewarded with a Mexican national team debut and goal. That's why it stood out for me. Yeah. Memo Martinez stood out. Not a lot of guys did. I think Jordi Cortizo was pretty active as well. You saw him involved there in the highlight. But he is at the end of the day, man. I mean, he's not even really a Liga Mekis journeyman, Memo Martinez. He's a Mexican football pyramid journeyman. And this is a guy who three years ago, Herc, was playing in the third tier. So kudos to him. At six foot three, he definitely stands out. It's nice to have a, a Mexican forward with that type of height. But when we talk about Moleros and not putting a, a national team product on the field, with all respect to Memo Martinez, this is not a national team player. This is a, this is a, a Mexican football journeyman at, at best. Yeah, I mean... Even journeymen's have their day. Or do you not remember Leicester City's Jamie Vardy? I mean, it's about taking advantage of your opportunities, oh. taking advantage of your circumstances, Seb. It's not Memo's fault he was overlooked. Mm -hmm. It's not Memo's fault that it didn't work out the first go around at Chivas. And Chivas may not have to pay how much? Five, six million for him. And he could be the nine there. Memo's got to worry about Memo. And Memote right now, he's doing his business. All right. If Memo Martinez is about to have a uh, Jamie Vardy-esque second half or 
later third of his career, look out. That would be a, a great deal for Mexican soccer. Speaking of, let's run it back with L3 in Europe. We'll start with Santiago Jimenez, who's playing for Feyenoord in their 4 0 win over Heracles on the weekend. And Herky picked up an assist. Yeah, this is something he's gotten very good at. He's gotten better at. Listen, they're playing on turf right there, but he's back to goal, soft feet, knows exactly the weight he's got to put on this ball. It's a nice little assist. 18 goals, four assists in league play for Santiago Jimenez. Raul Jimenez on the other side of the spectrum. He gets a red card here in the Newcastle Fulham game. Yeah, I, I blame the uniforms. Like, what are you doing there, hot pink? But this is unlucky. He, he tries to pull out, but he jumps, and there's no stopping yourself once you're in the air. He knows what's going to happen once it goes to VAR. Yeah, yellow card at first, but then uh, upon a second look, Raul Jimenez sees red. Fulham. They're back on Tuesday in the Carabao Cup quarterfinals. They'll be taking on Everton as uh, Raul Jimenez, joined by Anthony Robinson and Tim Ream. Fulham looking to get into the semifinals of the Carabao Cup, which you can watch right here on ESPN+. All right, well, that'll do it for this edition 311 of Football Americas for Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebastian Salazar. Thank you uh, so much for watching as Herc shows us a shirt featuring LeBron James and Messi. That's right. Uh, what a scene that was in Fort Lauderdale a few months back. We will be back on Thursday. And Eric, at that point, uh, we will be breaking out our ballots for U.S. Soccer's end-of-year awards. So uh, look out for that. Once again, he's Eric. I'm Seb. Thanks for watching. We'll see you Thursday.